Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. We have a super powerful guest today. That is Ashley Kramer, who is both the Chief Marketing Officer and Chief Strategy Officer at GitLab. GitLab is a company that is truly a force in the DevOps space. This company is doing over 450 million in run rate with over 2,000 employees and you know about 10% of those on the marketing side and sales dev side report in through Ashley. Now, Ashley's path to get here is truly unique. She has not only now been a CMO, she's been a chief product officer. She's also had roles as a GM in an amazing company called Tableau that had fantastic scale. And she talks about how that opportunity actually brought her into marketing in many ways. Now, we talk a lot about this idea of passing through lanes. It's a line that she uses right at the end. And that tees up the second half of our discussion, which is all about how do we welcome a customer regardless of who they are? In the case of GitLab, they're trying to attract buyers who are ultimate end users, who are the buyers signing the checks at an enterprise level, and other groups as well. And she talks about the strategy of how to think about both messaging and content to connect with every buyer, regardless of what lane they're in. Here's my chat with Ashley. Ashley, this is going to be so much fun because your journey is so unique. And I was trying to figure out where do we start? Do we start when you were an engineer? Do we start when you were in product? How did you ultimately get into marketing? Yeah, thank, thanks for having me on today, first of all. And, and great question. I get asked that several times a week. I took what most people would call the most unconventional path to becoming a CMO. And that is what you were alluding to. If we start at college, I was a computer science major computer science major playing soccer at the same time in college and was a hands-on engineer, software engineer for many years, you know, at least five years. Turned out I wasn't that great at it. People kept wanting me to talk about the project and they wanted me to manage the teams and do external things. The pivot came when I was interviewing for my next role at, at a certain point. And it was actually, uh, it was a recruiter at Amazon that told me, you know, you're really a product person. So that was step one. Step one was figuring out I'm not great at writing code, but maybe I'm going to be okay at product. And that's where the first time I pivoted. So the interesting thing, just to double down on this in terms of these pivots is a lot of people make those pivot early in their career, or they make the pivot to ultimately get to that goal. You have had some interesting titles at some amazing companies. Tableau, you were the GM head of cloud, an amazing company that scaled to fantastic outcome with Salesforce. And then you also had an opportunity where you were actually the chief product officer well before you were the CMO. So at what point amid all of this, did you say to yourself, okay, I know I'm a product person, but I should actually shift further into the marketing side. It was probably around the Tableau time. So Tableau, I was a GM, which meant cross-functional, very cross-functional, trying to figure out what it meant to 
build a cloud product and doing it, message a cloud product in a company that historically was not that sell that way and really pivot the company to have that cloud DNA. And um, while I could do all of the functions, the messaging, the positioning, all of the energy around that is what I really kept being attracted to. And so even when you see later when I pivot back to just being product leader, I also had product marketing at that point. That was one thing that that seemed to come along with me. Interesting. I, I want to go deeper a little bit on this GM title because I, a lot of people don't understand what that is as a title because it doesn't live in their organization or they kind of associate it as a business owner when there's a business of its own. I know a Tableau and you and I both know Elisa being an amazing CMO who was in place. So how does a GM interface with a CMO in that? And how did that help you become the leader you are today? Yeah, Elisa is actually a big reason that CMO made sense to me. Like if you ever want to follow a fantastic marketer, Elisa's it. What she built there was just incredible. Um, as So what we had was we had different, they didn't really call them business units, but they were different ways that we built the product for different audiences. So we had a mobile team, we had an enterprise team, and I was cloud. And so from that perspective, we worked really closely with marketing at Tableau to figure out the different tiers of how we were going to obviously do demand gen, message, and how we were going to thread that together to keep it. And I, I remember we used to use this at Tableau, one marketing machine. No matter what you're talking about, no matter what you're promoting, no matter what you're trying to get customers to understand about the company, it has to feel like the same company. And I, I learned a lot from my experience there, being in that role and then watching Elisa and team work their magic. So I, I'm, I'm curious when that makes sense. And as you've jumped into some of these newer opportunities, uh, if we just look at GitLab, there's a company that's had amazing growth and continues to have that growth, uh, you know, fantastic year over year growth. It's probably what, maybe half the size of where, if you look at Tableau, grew to before its acquisition. So at what point do you break into these business units or GM type of roles versus centralized to your point? Like, how do you figure out when is the right way? Because I like your point, like it's got to be a consistent message. So from my perspective, it depends on actually the product or the service that you're selling. So at Tableau, we had very, we had a desktop, we had a server, we had the cloud product that I ran and we had a mobile. At GitLab, we're an end-to-end -end platform. And I'm happy to talk more about that later. But um, from that perspective, we are selling a platform. We might be selling it and marketing it in different ways to commercial via enterprise, via through partner channels, but it is one platform. So this will, will not be my call, of course. This will be the call of the entire e-group. But in my perspective, it may or may not make sense in the future because the way that we're operating now is based on a platform and that's our future strategy. Gotcha. That one platform, I think also these days is more and more what consumers want. They don't want to buy a whole bunch of modules. They want something that solves for all of their problems, which again, we can talk about a little bit more later. Coming back to your role and, and making that jump to CMO sometimes means we got to let go of elements. You've managed to probably still keep your hands deep in the engineering side and the product side, especially with what GitLab does. How important for you was it what GitLab does to make this that first CMO gig? Yeah, from my perspective, I must 
be passionate about three things um, to really make the decision on where to go. And first is the product because I have the product background. I must be really excited about it, know that it fits a need and GitLab hands down has that. And by the way, back when I was a developer, if I had GitLab as part of you know, what I was using in my everyday, maybe I would have been better. Maybe I would have been more efficient. That's what we introduce. Uh, the second is passion around the space. I think the DevSecOps opportunity in the industry is just at the very, very beginning. There's massive opportunity ahead. And the third, I'm saying it third, but it actually is the most important. And I learned this from my time in Tableau, the people you work with, the culture that you're a part of is hands down one of the most important things and something I think we all assess of each other as they're interviewing me, as I'm interviewing them. Because to me, I had that experience at Tableau and I was craving that again, that great culture that Lisa was a big part of, but so were the founders. That's interesting. I have a question for you about that last one, which you said is maybe the most important being people. One of the things I always talk to leaders about is who are your people? Is it the senior leadership team that you're joining or is it in your case, the marketing team that you're overseeing? When you were trying to qualify the people, how did you do that at each of those levels individually, but also understanding that you may have more control over the marketing going forward? First and foremost, it is it is my peers. It's the other C-levels of the company, the other E-group members, of course, the CEO. Um, having that partnership and knowing even on the worst of days, even when we disagree, we disagree and commit and can go grab a coffee together the next day. And so to me, that is really important. So that was thing one I look for. The second thing on the actual marketing leadership side and Hopefully this resonates with some people out there. Um, it is it is very rare to have a marketing leadership team that really gels and gets along because they're very focused on different things, right? Having a great event and a great brand versus the messaging versus demand gen. And it's very demanding, not only from each other, but from our sales counterparts, our product counterparts. And so from team fit, am I gonna fit in with this team? Is this, are we going to gel? And the good news is, you know, many months in, the answer is yes. I have an incredible marketing leadership team. I have an incredible e-group team that, um, like I said, even on the worst of days, we're still in it together. That is most important to me in that order. That's interesting. I, I'm curious on one other aspect, given where your specialty is and how much it pairs nicely with what GitLab does. How has that been something that you've injected into the marketing team in terms of this passion that you talked about and loving the product that you have. Some people look at it, I just want to market something, but it sounds like you've chosen something, as you said, where you love the product and you love the space. How do you make that a contagious mindset through it? It's kind of interesting because our culture really leads this. We use GitLab to run GitLab, and that's not just in R&D. That's not just in software development. So GitLab has a public handbook, and it, it has everything in it from our product strategy to our company strategy to how we run marketing and how we think about our marketing strategy. And the way you update that is with a merge request in GitLab. And so because the handbook is produced on GitLab. And so from that perspective, we're actually product first in finance, in legal, in HR, and in the R&D. And so it's been pretty easy to push that forward. And it also really helps people understand what we're marketing and the value of it because they're being hands-on with it. Really interesting. I, I love how you've integrated and in that concept of GitLab at GitLab, or I've seen at the past 
you know, a friend of mine, John Miller, Marketo at Marketo, you know, this, this mindset of using our product and being the best user of it can be so inspiring to our customer base. So, you know, kudos to you, Ashley, we're going to take a quick break here and we'll be back to talk a little bit about that go-to-market strategy within your team here on the marketer's journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. You just heard Ashley talk about how they use GitLab at GitLab. And I think this is such a powerful position to take in your organization in a number of ways. First of all, your user base will absolutely crave for the best learnings from your team. The other key is when you use your product, you can really work with both product marketing and product teams to circle back feedback about what's needed. This is something at Uberflip that our team really focuses on. How do we become the best at using Uberflip at Uberflip? When we do this, we can do just those things that I talked about. So I want you to take a look in your organization. Is your solution something that your team can use? That doesn't have to be a marketing solution. It can be any part of your organization. If you use it in simple ways, use it in your personal life, determine if that creates opportunities for a feedback cycle to make your offering even better. Ashley, I am really curious how you focus your time because I look at a company like GitLab and there's so much opportunity. You have over 30 million users, and some of those are probably going to be free users. Some of them are going to pay, and some of them are going to pay a lot. What is the most valuable customer for you? We love all of our customers, and we love them equally. Great answer. Um, Great answer. (laughs) (laughs) You asked about kids, right, or animals. Um, But from, from my perspective, we have two major motions at the company. And the first is from our, at our roots, we were open source. We were originally an open source project that became more and more popular and eventually went public as a company. And that's still part of our motion, particularly, you know, for commercial SMB and mid-market, but getting, finding, going and meeting those developers and those users where they are, getting them into a trial, getting them hands-on. We still have a free product that they could even go and use with certain functionality and then continue to nurture that, to get them to use more and more, add users, add storage, add functionality. If they're not paying, start paying or pay more. Um, and then on the flip side of that, we have the large enterprises that you know they, they generally still start at a certain point with a few teams or trying to solve a few major problems. But since we have that platform, then we can go in and start to introduce the value of integrating, getting rid of some of those point solutions they're using, integrating that into GitLab, 
and growing that way. And so from the perspective of my time, sometimes that's a harder one to solve because there's different sea levels you want to talk to and there's different types of things they're worried about. You know, going into next year, I'm sure people are worried about efficiency, productivity for because of all the things we're seeing with headwinds in the market and we can solve that. And so we have to figure out how to message that, how to find them, how to get on a plane and go meet them about it. PLG, I do have a team, a product and an engineering team that's constantly looking at the data and the signals and going from that angle. But I would say from my perspective in my time, it's focusing a little bit more tilted to the enterprise side. That's not necessarily the whole GitLab team though. Interesting. I mean, for everyone listening, GitLab has succeeded in scaling to this enterprise opportunity as well. I believe there's over 600 companies who spend more than $100,000 with you on an annual basis. So this isn't, you're just trying to enter this space. I guess coming back to what we were talking about on the first half here, you, you described at Tableau the importance of joint messaging when you have these different business units with GMs. I assume the same thing holds here, that even though you've got this PLG play and you've got this enterprise play, people want to associate the brand and what you stand for in the same way. So I'm curious from an overall corporate messaging into marketing and content, how is that divvied up between these groups? Yeah, I mean, it, it all starts with one core message. We're a DevSecOps platform that helps you, customer, build software faster gets the attention of everybody, whether you're a developer that's like, yeah, I would like to move faster, or whether you're an executive saying, is my team running the most efficiently? And am I paying for too many tools? And can I consolidate that? And so from that perspective, it starts with, and if you go to our website, that's what you see, software faster, and then sort of then starts to pivot off into more of the, okay, developers want to know about the exact features in some of their day-to-day -day and what they're doing with source code management and CICD. The executive, as we just talked about for, before, wants to know, like, what are some other customers seeing in ROI with this? And how should I get started? How should I do a phased approach? That's another really cool thing that we do, which is a, a value stream assessment where we'll go into the customer and say, all right, here's your gap analysis. Here's where you are today. And here's where we can take you. So we become the trusted advisor of those specific companies and help them along that DevSecOps journey. Interesting. So I want to go back. First off, I love how easily you could walk me through that succinct, here's what we are, here's what we do. It's on our website. You obviously put a lot of thought into that. In coming up with that core message, is that something that again happens at the marketing level and who would oversee that? Or back to our first conversation, is this a senior leadership team getting in a room and really trying to say, what do we want to stand for as an organization? Where does that conversation happen? So it's interesting. It's both. It starts with our publicly available company vision. Um, we were actually just talking about it again this morning and our company strategy that's fully transparent to the public and internally. And then it's marketing understanding. Okay. Obviously that strategy, but also, okay, this is where we are today. This is where we want to go. And then we lead that with the, you know, the focus groups, the user testing, um, the different creatives that we can do. And so it's a combination of both. Some of the higher level, should we be a DevSecOps platform or something else? That starts at the top. And then, okay, how are we gonna tell somebody driving down the 101 in San Francisco in a brief second what it is? It, it allows you to produce software faster. Interesting, I, I, I like that trickle down and the ability to enable 
you know, this mindset of allowing people to test probably empowers people and allows you to try things in some of these vertical plays or size of organization. How do you bubble that up for others to learn from perhaps what's working in product-led growth over to enterprise or enterprise over to the other side? How, how are some of these messages and tests shared internally? We have the same team within marketing doing both. I don't separate them. Obviously, in sales, we have separate teams. But I strategically made a decision to have one integrated marketing leader, one product marketing leader, one comms leader. And their job day in and day out is to measure that with the sales leaders that do run those different what we would consider segments. Interesting. So let's let's go to the area that I'm always keen to talk about, which is content. You know, we talked a little bit about the overall messaging. How does that trickle down to the content strategy? Do you have two different content streams, one for the PLG user who you described versus the more enterprise buyer? How does that get divided and even created? We have three. Um, and the third one will will be an interesting one. The first is buyer. And so that's, you know, the person that's going to make the decision, what do they need to feel comfortable? What do they need to feel comfortable in two years that they made this decision? The second is that user. So when you talk about PLG, it's probably targeting the user, the, the person that's hands-on. And the third, since we are open core and the whole world can contribute to our code base that we then provide, um, back out is contributor content. So how can we allow more people to be contributors to the GitLab platform? So when we think about content, we divide them in those three different ways, but they all sit under the same content leader. Interesting. Interesting. And I, I imagine at times there's competing time availability and requirements for each of these. Is that something that you're deciding where the focus is going or is it just split down the middle across all those three with some sort of content calendar? We, um, so I've been pushing the team to think more creatively, you know, in a lot of cases we can ask the other GitLab team members or the wider community to be contributors to our content. That's, that's part of who we are. And so from that perspective, I would say on the buyer side, we, we, tend to focus pretty deeply. We have a great evangelist team that goes and does talks to communities and open source um, conferences across the world. We can easily watch one of those presentations and turn that into a blog post or turn that into ongoing content. So, you know, it's, it's less of me having to decide, put this percent or this effort in more of getting the team to think creatively. I, I heard this person just gave a great talk. We should turn that into we should turn that into content. Maybe we should start a GitLab podcast. And then out the outcome of that, we can take snippets and pieces for all kinds of different things, content, social, everything. And so that, that's that been my role in it, less so than being, you know, I, I am not as much of a top-down leader as as some. It's I like to empower the team, but I want them to be creative. So last question I've got on this content piece, and it might be a little in the weeds, but I'm I'm curious because someone comes to GitLab and as you said, they could be any three of these individuals. They could be the buyer, they could be the user, they could be the contributor. At what point do you start to understand who that person is, what their intention is, and how do you do that to ensure that you start to put that content in front of them? and drive them down that path? Is there, is there something they're doing to put their hand up or is there certain data that you're able to leverage to map that experience? It's both. I mean, the first and foremost one is, 
if we can identify in a lot of cases we can and some we can't where they started their GitLab journey, right? Where they came from. So whether that's a CTA to an optimized landing page, simple. Whether they were at some super deep technical event and became a great lead and then we did some nurture, that's easy. Other times not as easy. If they're gonna start a free trial, uh, they're probably not the executive buyer. They, they are yeah. probably um, somebody the executive buyer sent there or a, a great PLG candidate. So, so the answer is both. We use as much data as we can to kind of lead that and figure out which path to put them on to nurture them through all of the steps of the journey. Um, and in a lot of cases, we know at least that first touch. We always talk about attribution, multi-touch versus first touch, which matters. That first touch for us really does matter for the rest of nurturing along the journey. That's such a good point. And, and I think that really tees up what type of experience you can create based on understanding what their goals are. We're going to take one more break here. We'll be back with Ashley here on The Marketer's Journey. Again, I really enjoyed how Ashley was able to rhyme off without pause the what GitLab does as though it was something that she believes in and knows is consistent on her website and in all their various messaging at a high level. Obviously from there, as you heard her say, that can trickle, but think about whether your entire organization is united around what we do. Now we went through this at Uberflip by using the framework from Start With Why, a great book by Simon Sinek, and it allowed us to land on our why. You know, this idea that we empower marketers to personalize content experiences to drive business growth. That doesn't mean that's the only tagline we use. We, like Ashley, are going to empower our team to try different terminology, different languages, different key messaging to work with verticals, to work with different personas. But ultimately, you need something that ties the organization together. And I really encourage you to ensure that that conversation is happening amongst your senior leadership team so that it trickles down beyond marketing to sales and any other go-to-market teams. Welcome back to The Marketer's Journey. Ashley, this has been really fascinating. And one of the questions I always like to ask is, how do you become a CMO? What is your one bit of advice? But your path as we hit on is so unique. So I'm gonna ask you more of a broader question. How do you become part of a senior leadership team? My advice on how to become part of a senior leadership team is don't stay in your lane. Always be learning, always be challenging yourself and don't think just because you're the marketing leader or the product leader, that's all that you should be learning and that's all you should be figuring out how to have a future in. I love that. And, and no doubt that's probably an explanation of how you've been able to jump lanes into some of these other roles. I know right now you're also interim CTO and, and the ability to have that knowledge makes you such a Swiss army knife in any organization. So really well said. Let's, let's come back to content. And I'm curious about the type of content that's sent to you as a leader what gets you to click? What gets you to lean in, whether it's in your inbox or something that gets you to click on an ad? What are they dangling that resonates? There's two things. The first one is when they are speaking about a problem that I know I have, whether it's in with, within my team, my company, our business, that always grabs my attention. The second thing is 
when we have mutual connections and it's a meaningful one, not just they went to my LinkedIn or like, oh, I saw you did this or I saw you went to school here. When there is a meaningful connection, that always catches my attention as well. I love that. Uh, definitely having that referral, having that assurance is, you know, couldn't be more important. So you hit on this this element of really knowing the problem that you have. And, and I think about that a lot as personalization. What is it about items that come to you that feel personalized? How do they personalize it in a way that gets you to pay attention? For me, they really, really understand what I'm doing at my company and what issues I might be having. I'll give you a really, really good example of bad content reach out. People still, I've been at GitLab now for over three quarters, still refer to my former company and my former role at my former company. That is bad. They've done no research and that's horrible automation. They're probably doing that even on LinkedIn too with their outreach. Oh, it's so bad. It's so painful. And it's happening more and more recently for some reason. But yeah, when they, when they really, it feels like they really get GitLab and they really get my role there and the issues I would have, that tells me they've done the thoughtful research and they might actually have a good solution for me. I love that. All right. My last question, always the hardest one on here, and that is all about balance. How do you take on all these roles, even putting up your hand to say, I'll be the interim CTO right now, when you probably have a life at home that you're trying to balance? How do you create that balance and how do you prioritize what's important to you? For me, as a leader, the only way to get that balance is to have great leaders that are part of my teams. I say teams because I'm doing several roles. And so to me, that's first and foremost. And then I want everybody to see me as the role model. If I'm working 24 seven, I'm pinging them on Slack at midnight, they're seeing that's how I work and thinking that's how they should work. That creates burnout. And so I like to keep to a strict schedule. Of course, sometimes I have to work in the evenings, but I really try to create that balance. And in my free time, I like to do things where I can't think about work. I'll give you the classic example. I live in Tahoe and I've been a skier since I was very young. So I started snowboarding because I would started skiing and I'd, I'd think about, you know, work and I'd be thinking about what I was going to do at work the next day. Snowboarding, I'm very bad at. And all I can think about when I am out there is please don't fall, don't hit a toe edge. And it's kind of like, for me, it's meditation. It's all I can think about. So I find those things to do that challenge me in different ways. Reading is a good one too, where you can't be multitasking and also thinking about work. I love that. It, it's almost that like you need a personal challenge just as much as you need that work challenge. Such great advice, Ashley. This this entire episode has been loaded with that. If you've tuned into this episode for the first time, I assure you every marketer who's come on has dropped amazing knowledge. And this is just one example. So go check out all those other episodes, but also create your own journey. And hopefully one day you'll join us to tell that story. Until next time, big thank you to Ashley and thank you to all of you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 